What's happening? I'm Jason Marsden. I played Grimp in the episode of the Bar Association and DS9, and you are listening to Trek Untold. I'm getting paid in Latin, I hope. Hello and welcome back to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. There are certain memories you form as a child that stick with you into adulthood. Not all of us necessarily grew up being raised by the television, but we all have things we can recall from a young age that we saw on TV that instantly bring back good memories. On this episode of Trek Untold, I get to relive a little part of my younger days, as we're speaking with an actor whose face and voice I can remember from basically before I was even in preschool. And that actor is Jason Marsden. Star Trek fans will remember Jason best as the Ferengi named Grimp from the Deep Space Nine episode Bar Association. But he also had a role in the Next Generation episode titled Silicon Avatar, where we heard his voice being spoken out of data. It's a very emotional scene and emotional moment, and one that, for some reason, Jason didn't actually get credited with on screen. But beyond Star Trek, you've seen and heard Jason in over 200 shows, films, and animated series. With some of those highlights including a Goofy movie, Peter Pan and the Pirates, Eerie Indiana, Blossom, Almost Home, Hocus Pocus, Full House, Boy Meets World, Extreme Ghostbusters, Step by Step, Superman the Animated Series, Spirited Away, The Weekenders, Static Shock, Kim Possible, G.I. Joe Renegades, Fairly Odd Parents, Justice League, Young Justice, and a whole lot more. Oh, and also a little something you might remember called Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue. Chances are, even if you didn't grow up in 1990 like I did, you may have heard about this insanity, and we have one of the stars of that here to talk with us today. If you grew up in the same era as I did, you'll know that his voice is an absolute wave of nostalgia, and he continues to perform today with his signature and unmistakable golden voice. So get ready to spend some time today hearing from the one and only Jason Marsden. But before we jump into our interview, I want to ask you, are you following Trek Untold on social media? It's the best way to keep up to date on who's going to be the next guest on Trek Untold and to learn all about the other cool things that are happening here. So if you're on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, go ahead and look up Trek Untold, all one word, and give us a follow and a like. If you'd like to help support the show monetarily, go ahead and check out teespring.com stores slash Trek Untold to check out some of the merchandise we have available. This includes t-shirts, mugs, phone cases, sweatshirts, stickers, and a whole bunch more. So go ahead and check out teespring.com stores slash Trek Untold. You can also support our show by visiting patreon.com slash Trek Untold. If you become a paid subscriber to Trek Untold, you'll get first access to the show and a chance to ask our guests questions on future episodes. But most of all, please subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it or watching it. And if you've already done that, please also leave a review and a rating if you can. Leaving ratings and reviews helps increase the visibility of podcasts on platforms like iTunes and other places like it. It shows that you're listening and that you like it, and that other people who are interested in the same subject are going to probably like it too. It helps us grow, it helps us get better guests, and it helps us keep bringing this amazing Trek Untold show to you. If you're already following us or have supported us in any other way, thank you, of course, for being a part of the Trek Untold family. There's a lot of Star Trek podcasts out there, and we're very grateful that you chose us to listen to. 
I'd also like to make a quick shout out to our friends at Triple Fiction Productions, who make some great 3D printed Star Trek inspired toys and replicas for fans of all ages and toys of all sizes. But you'll hear more about them a little later on in the show. Now, without further ado, let's beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. Hello and welcome back to Trek Untold. Now join me on the other side of the screen. We've got a man who's been credited in over 200 different things, and there's no way we can get through every single one of those things in this introduction. But uh, today we are joined by Mr. Jason Marsden. Jason, how are you today? I'm great. Uh, Thank you, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. So yeah, this is going to be kind of like the sample platter of just a little bit of Jason Marsden's work today because you've done so many incredible things in your career on screen, uh, in voiceover work. You've basically been like a constant throughout my entire life. So uh, it's a real pleasure to be able to actually chat with you today. Well, it's my pleasure too. Thank you so much. It's very nice of you. So let's jump right on into things here. And uh, so I did some research on you, of course. I know you're not the biggest Trekkie necessarily, Jason, but uh, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Uh, my earliest memory of Star Trek is really, I think it was Wrath of Khan, ah. which I, I still haven't seen, uh, but I just, I've never seen uh, a, a a bald woman before, a woman with no hair, that that character um, from Wrath of Khan. Am I correct? Is that the right movie? Oh, you're thinking about the first film, actually, the first motion picture. Okay, the first motion picture. Um, uh, just being fascinated by that. And I do remember my uncle taking me to go see it in the theater and I remember falling asleep, having reflected back on that years later when I think the uh, the movies came to DVD for the first time. I decided like like let's re let's re revisit this and see what I mean. I was probably like five or six. Let me look at it as an adult and see what was going on. And uh, and after like you know the first twenty minute SS Enterprise reveal, I was I was like okay, well I I, I guess I understood why I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> So I wasn't really super interested in in um, the classic uh, Star Star Trek, uh, although I have much I have a great appreciation for it. I've watched a few episodes as an adult, but uh, I think I really started to become a fan through Next Generation. I don't know if you heard that sound, Jason, but the minute you confused Wrath of Khan with the original movie, I just heard all the Trekkies out there weeping, <laughs> Did you screaming, hear that <laughs> screaming at their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good it happens plenty of times i heard it before on the show <laughs> yeah sorry my gosh <laughs> well that's all right let's make up for it today we'll get to some ds9 talk as we progress here but here uh, first things first let's kind of jump into the origin story of jason marsden so uh where were you born <laughs> who were your parents and what did little jason want to be when he grew up uh, i was born in uh providence rhode island the biggest little state in the union my mother was a model and uh, and she did uh, costuming, and uh, my uh, my stepfather was a ballet teacher. He founded the State Ballet of Rhode Island, and um, uh, so I grew up around uh, around entertainment and theater. Uh, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I was a kid. I was very ignorant to such things. I think I just wanted to you know remain a kid for the rest of my life. Uh, big into action figures and cartoons, uh, and then when we moved to Los Angeles the uh, the idea was presented to us to maybe get me into acting. So my mom sent me to a, took me to a workshop in Irvine. And after 12 weeks of that, they sent me to an agent and then just kind of unfolded after that. So you know, there's plenty of like horror stories of children being pushed into acting. Was it like that kind of situation or was it something that you actually wanted to try out and do? Oh, it's definitely something I wanted to do. Uh, I, I remember when uh, Nickelodeon first, you know, came upon us on uh, in, in cable in the cable days. And I'd watch shows like uh, you can't do that on television. And uh, like these little uh, 
this, uh, it was like a variety show from Canada. Uh, most people don't know where the, the inception of the slime cat happened. Cause in the show they, they would say, I don't know. And then every time he said, I don't know, they get slimed. I'm like, that's, that looks like fun. Oh, I would love to do something like that. And I would walk around saying, uh, a boot and, and sorry, because I thought that's how you talked if you're an actor. I had no idea it's because they were Canadian. <laughs> but uh, definitely, it was not, I was not pushed into it. I, uh, it was suggested to me, and I was like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Absolutely. So normally we'd save the Star Trek talk for a little bit later on here, but your first appearance in the franchise actually is fairly early on in your career. Uh, and that was in the TNG episode, Silicon Avatar, and you did a voiceover in that episode. So what do you remember about that? Uh, I remember being giddy because, uh, like I said, I love Next Generation. And, uh, you know, it, it's my voice coming out of Data's mouth. He's one of my favorite characters. It was just a day of work. In the, No, I think I did two days. I did two days. You know, it's, it's, it's ADR, it's lip syncing, which is something I ended up doing a, a, a bit of later on in my career. Uh, it's not something I was unfamiliar with because usually it's included after you work on a show. Like when I worked on Erie, Indiana, uh, you would always have to come back and loop some things. Um, so I was used to that process. Um, but this was even interesting. It was it was purposely for this this emotional moment in the show, um, and it was good. It was good, clean fun. I remember in that room them telling me that uh, they had gotten Leonard Nimoy to do the finale. So I was like one of the first people to know about that. To sync with something else's mouth movements must have been quite a challenge at your age. And uh, just by the way, how old were you when you did that VO? Oh, gosh, uh, was I thirteen, twelve or thirteen? Um, uh, the, the, one of the first things I ever booked was a voiceover job. Uh, so I've been doing voiceover since I was 12 and, uh, it, it wasn't a big deal. It was something that just came naturally to me. It was like a game. It's like when I, when I, I did this cartoon, uh, called, uh, cartoon all stars to the rescue. And, uh, and I remember recording my bit and then they brought me in later to do this, uh, this like 90 second long like action sequence with my characters kind of like going down the, the, the rabbit hole of all the, you know, the bad things he's done. And uh, I, I, they were like, here, we're just going to run it. And you just match up your, the screams and the Uggs and the, to when you're falling and landing and this stuff and being swirled around, just, just do that. I did it in one take. It was, it was, it was, it was just as, as easy as following the picture and, and emoting to it. It was, it just came very naturally to me. And I'm so glad that you brought up cartoon all-stars to the rescue, because I was totally <laughs> going to ask about that. How can I not ask about that? Yeah, yeah. And I had to rewatch it to get ready for this interview again. I was just like, Oh my God, it brought back all the memories of uh, being in kindergarten. They actually forced the entire, both kindergarten classes to watch this show. So imagine I heard about that. 60 kids, 66 year olds, essentially watching a cartoon with all your favorite characters telling you not to do drugs. And we're just like, what's a drug? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what a surreal experience. What a surreal cartoon. George C. Scott as well is in yes, that. Yes. Uh, oh my God. Just like, I don't even know what to even ask by that. I just want to be like, you know, what is up with that show? <laughs> well, for those who don't, who aren't familiar, it was unprecedented. No one had ever done anything like this before, but you know, back in the day, man, there was only four networks, four networks and maybe cable, but the main networks were, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. And the intention for Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue was to nab all the cartoon, some cartoon characters from every network, put them in one half hour show as like a, you know, a, a, a commercial against substance abuse. And, uh, and, and then they aired that they aired the show at the exact same time on all the networks at the same time. And it featured like, it was the Smurfs and the Ninja Turtles and Alf and uh, Garfield and 
Muppet Babies and Alvin and the Chipmunks. Uh, I wish I could say I worked with all those guys, but I didn't. I worked completely by myself. I didn't get to meet George C. Scott, um, but it was a trip to be part of something like that for sure. And, and, and it really boggles my mind that people, well, I'm very pleased that people remember it and have seen it so many times. My girlfriend's like, oh yeah, in school, they made us watch this, uh, you know? How uh, how evil the evils of marijuana is basically what it was. <laughs> and when's the last time you watched that? I haven't seen it in I haven't seen it in decades. <laughs> Lucky you. I mean, yeah, it's it's a, it's definitely a trip. <laughs> Does it hold up? You know, I, I gotta tell you this, Jason. Like rewatching it again, it still is quite as just as traumatizing watching it back today as it was back then. I mean, I mean, again, that scene you mentioned that you had to do all the screaming for, that is yeah. a scary messed up scene, especially for like a six-year-old. That is some scared straight stuff right there. It's kind of, it's maybe it's turning into like the, uh, the reefer madness of, of the day. It's like people, I think people who enjoy recreational marijuana use will probably throw that in <laughs> to watch and laugh at. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know where to go with that one. Cause it's just, it's so bizarre. Uh, and like, I can even tell you, I remember actually, the weirdest thing too is I remember using the excuse that Winnie the Pooh says to just say no. I remember actually using that for someone. They're like, "What? You're you're allergic?" What did he what? say? Remind me. What did he say? I think, I think Winnie the Pooh is like, "Oh, I'm allergic," and he sneezes. And I remember <laughs> using that, and then the people were just like, "What? That is the stupidest thing you've ever said," but it worked. So thank you, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's great. So yeah, I've got a ton of questions, of course, about your VO stuff. Uh, there's sure. so much of it, but I want to actually talk about a few of the live action things you've done also. And uh, this is actually in, on behalf of my girlfriend, because she demanded I ask you about Almost Home and the Torkelsons. All right. Yeah. Which had Brittany Murphy on the show. Uh, you had the gentleman who played Minkus, who would later on go on to be in Boy Meets World. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, again, a pretty early in your career, too. Uh, a lot of big names around you. Uh, what did you learn while you were working on that show? Oh man, you know, I learned uh, a little bit of humility on that show. I was going through, I was in, was I, was I 18 or 19, I think when I worked on that show and, you know, I've been very fortunate and I had a lot of uh, success early on and I was kind of going from one show to the other and Almost Home was a tremendous gift. You know, I was used to working kind of loose and, uh, and uh, there's one moment I remember uh, in front of the live audience show when we're actually like shooting the show for real uh, there was like a blooper that happened where someone like threw a, uh, soft drink can at me and I was supposed to catch it, but I didn't catch it. It like hit me in the shoulder. So I, you know, I pretended that it, it was like a gunshot and knocked me out just for, you know, to please the audience. Uh, cause I thought when you do the shows, it's really all about, you know, having fun with the audience and a producer came up to me after that and, uh, and, uh, and lectured me that, you know, no matter what happens, you got to stay in the scene. You got to stay focused. You can't just break character. I mean, you could be ruining a very good take. Uh, and he explained, you know, other other scenarios where mistakes happened, and and it kind of enhanced the situation. And that's that's uh, that sort of thing has kind of ha- had happened to me a lot leading up to that point. So that was one of those seminal moments. I was like, yeah, I need to really pay attention and focus on this. Oh, also, you know, it's a funny lead in to, to that ties with your podcast. Almost Tome was the first time I ever heard of deep space nine because they worked it into, it hadn't even aired yet, but the writers knew that deep space nine was a, was a happening and it was going to be released around the same time. Almost Tome was to be released. So they have a line in the script. I think it's one of my lines where I'm like, I'm excited to watch deep space nine. Yeah. I want to, I uh, want to tune in before they hit the wormhole. Something like that was the joke. And I'm like, what's Deep Space Nine? Like, oh, it's this new Star Trek spinoff that's that's happening. So I had no idea even before even before it happened. That's awesome. That's a great tie-in of all things. Yeah, right. 
all comes back to Deep Space Nine. So uh, you went on to be in a ton of ABC sitcoms as well, because I remember watching you in Full House. I remember seeing you in Step by Step a bunch of times, and obviously in Boy Meets World, mm-hmm. uh, which I have to ask here, for some reason, your character's name was actually your name. What's yes. the story behind that? Well, the part was uh, was written for me. I uh, I worked with Michael Jacobs. Excuse me, I worked with Michael Jacobs on Almost Home. He brought me in to read for Eric, uh, the older brother in Boy Meets World, uh, which was uh, out, outstandingly cast by uh, with Will Friedle, who ended up being my best friend, and uh, and he needed a best friend on the show, so uh, they they wrote a part for me. The character's name was Jason from the get go, and then later on. Uh, after a few episodes, Mr. Feeney has to refer to me and Mr. Feeney only refers to the students by their last names. And the writers said, do you mind if we just say Marsden because you Mr. Marsden? I think that'd be kind of funny. I'm like, I think that'd be kind of funny. So that they, that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. Yeah, and I just read actually that you were originally up for the role of Eric as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which ultimately went to Will Friedle, as we all know. But uh, yeah, I mean, how, how did that work out? Because you went from going to this leading role over to this other part here. Uh, that's quite a journey too to actually be still on the show like that. It's kind of like a Star Trek story too. We hear that a lot where, you know, you, you'll audition for one part, end up getting something else way down the line. Oh, sure. It, ha- it happens all the time. It was, uh, yeah, with, with, with Almost Home, it, you know, you audition, you read for the casting director. They like you. They bring in the producers. They like you. They bring you in again. Uh, they like you enough. They, 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 they send you to network and network is like, you know, the final meeting. And it's usually like you and one other person or you and two other people. For Almost Home, it was down between me and Fidel. And uh, Shiloh Strong, writer's older brother. And, uh, and then uh, I booked that one, sent them home in defeat. <laughs> sent sent Fidel's ass back to Connecticut, <laughs> crying, I hope, uh, showing him what a formidable force I was. And uh, sorry, I live by a train track. That's where you hear a train happening right now. Yeah, sent Fidel's home, sent, sent Fidel home in defeat. And then uh, uh, almost home, only lasted about a season. And if you look back at my career, you'll notice like most shows I join usually get canceled. So maybe, you know, maybe it was right at Boy Meets World that I didn't I didn't finish that run. But uh, Boy Meets World came along and they they brought me in to read for uh, for Eric. And again, it was down between me and Fidel and Shiloh Strong. And uh, and this time uh, Will booked it. And uh, that night I went to Universal Studios Hollywood just to like lost some steam with some friends. And we're walking up this this steep walkway that leads to the entrance. And just by coincidence, who is walking towards me, but Will and his father, they were staying at the Hilton. They put him up in the Hilton, flying him in from Connecticut. And uh, I see him and I turn to my friends and I look at Will. I'm like, hey, look, there's the prick who stole my job. And we laughed and we shook hands and we've been friends ever since. That's pretty amazing. And I got to ask you, since you're actually the first person I've spoken to on this podcast, who was on Boy Meets World. Do you have any stories about William Daniels? Because I, I love William Daniels' work. I wish I could meet him at a convention. Hopefully I will when the world reopens. But uh, do you have any stories about working with William Daniels? Uh, not a whole lot. I kind of, I, I, I had such reverence for him. Um, and he always, and again, this is just in my brain. I don't know if this is how he was, but he, he because we didn't share scenes really that much. There wasn't a whole lot of interaction. And he was a very quiet, you know, person. Um, probably wanted to stay clear of all his kids, you know. Uh, so not a, not a whole lot. Uh, I just, uh, I was a big Knight Rider fan, uh, which is how I knew him as a voice of Kit the car. So, uh, it was just, it was just a pleasure to be, you know, on set with him and to, and to have him call me Mr. Mazda, you know, that's the dream <laughs> come true right there. But I know everyone loves him on the show and he still, he still does appearances and, and, and things. I'd love to run into, into him again. 
And of course, we're talking about now you're doing all this acting with all sorts of people. Uh, do you actually become friends with these folks? Like you mentioned, obviously, Wilfred L, but like uh, anybody else you've worked with, are you guys like all buddy buddy offset or is it just kind of like you come to your job and then you go home and live your lives? It's rare, man. I, I actually found myself befriending more of the crew than I, than I did actors. I have, I'm friendly with, with a bunch of actors. Uh, it's funny, more so, the, the connections have sort of happened more so as we've gotten older, I would say. Uh, you know, the, the young, you know, teenage 20-year-old egos dissipate and we kind of reconnected. But guys who I thought hated me uh, were, you know, we connect and we talk like, you know, we're old high school chums. Uh, but uh, yeah, but I would say most, mostly I would, uh, like on set, I would hang out with the with the crew, you know, the craft service guys, the grips, the 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 tech guys and stuff like that. I was more interested with them, I think. Pretty much the same way I would be too. I'd be bugging those guys, be like, how does this work? How does that work? Were you like that guy on set? Oh, definitely. I was always asking questions. I was always fascinated about uh, you know, wanting to direct and and the creative process, mostly on a technical level. In hindsight, I I I wish I should have uh uh communicated with writers a little bit more learned a little bit more about storytelling aspects, which is very, uh, very valuable. Yeah. Cause we should mention you have a few director credits under your belt as well. So, uh, you know, were there any directors that in particular you really learned a lot from during your many times on all the different sitcoms you worked on? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Joel Zwick who directed, uh, I mean, he's directed like happy days. I mean, he's, he's been around forever working with Gary Marshall, but I worked with him a bunch on, uh, on a step-by-step and, uh, you know, he's a little guy like me and, and he's uh he's he know he knows what he wants and he's he knows about being funny, uh, but it was mostly uh some live action or single camera shows like Erie Indiana, you know working with guys like Joe Dante. Uh, there's a guy named Brian Spicer who I really liked who uh, had a very Zemeckis like approach to the camera, you know crazy shots and angles and sticking like four people in a in a in 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 one frame. Uh, that's that sort of stuff. Gosh, you know, I'm in, in hindsight, yeah, in hindsight, like uh, I always approached my directing is on more of a technical level, uh, uh, trying to make it look good rather than focus on act on acting. That that sort of happened with a short film I did uh, with a couple of gals. And that's when I really learned, like, oh, let's connect with the act. I'm an actor, of course. I, I wouldn't want to be bossed around like this. Let's connect and talk about story and and let's try things and see what happens. So Jason, I also know that you are a big Disney fan. Aside from being in many, many different Disney properties, you're also an actual fan of everything Disney. Uh, and I think the first Disney role you had was Gummy Bears, and then that was followed yeah. by uh, Hocus Pocus, right? Is that right? No, I mean, I did after Gummy Bears. Uh, gosh. Like it's a lot of stuff. I know that's why it's hard to remember everything. <laughs> I mean, Boy Meets World is technically Disney. I mean, I did uh, Jungle Cubs. and so Is Topanga technically a Disney princess? <laughs> is she a princess? Did they She's achieve my queen, royalty? So I'll, take, I'll give her that. Did they achieve royalty at the <laughs> at the end of the season? I don't remember that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you're true. You were also in like Marsupilami. I'm checking out your IMDb. There's Marsupilami. Yeah. Uh, there was Shookums and Meat, yeah. which I used to watch as well. But uh, I guess to get to the point of what I'm trying to ask about was Hocus Pocus. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember that in particular because, you know, your voice is very recognizable. And at the end of the film, when Zachary Binks shows back up in a corporeal form, it's not you. And I'm to this day right. continually disappointed by that. So uh, what's the story behind that? Well, you know, it was also not me in the beginning. It bookends. Yes. Uh, uh, that actor is a uh, fantastic Sean Murray, who's on uh, N- one of the NCIS shows. He and I have known each other since we were kids. Uh, it's just it's just what happens in, in movies. You know, they they cast him to play the human Thackeray. 
and to do the voice as well. Uh, the, he shot his scene, they, his scenes, they finished the entire movie. And, and this is what happens in a lot of movies. Things change, you know, they, they're doing the cut, they're putting it together. And uh, for some reason, they, they, they weren't pleased with, uh, with, with what Sean was doing. Not that he was doing anything wrong. I think Sean was using his own voice and Sean is a very sort of valley contemporary sort of sound. And they wanted, uh, you know, Thackeray Banks is supposed to be, you know, 300 years old from old world Salem. He should have maybe a, maybe a colonial old world sort of accent. So I read for it. I booked it. And, uh, and because it's, it was just cheaper to, you know, put me in a studio behind a mic than to dress me up in the outfit, get all the actors back, get the camera crew, get the film, get all the stuff, do all that. Uh, so it was cheaper to do it that way uh, than, uh, than put me on camera. <laughs> Understandable. And you know, again, it, it's still just, it's so weird to me because I can always pick out your voice whenever I hear it in cartoons and it's just like, Hey, there's Jason Marsden's voice as a cat, but not as the real life version. So I'm glad there's, <laughs> there's a reason behind it. Yeah. Um, and you know, also on that movie, you've got Doug Jones who went on to be Saru in Star yes. Trek Discovery, which is amazing. Uh, but again, you really didn't share scenes with him because you were not there. So, uh, did you ever get to meet Doug Jones anytime during premieres or anything like that? Or just in general, have you met or been around Doug Jones? No, the closest I got to Doug was at a, at a fanboy conve- convention in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I, um, I went over to go say hello to him and he is, his lines are always like wrapped around the block. So I didn't want to interrupt, uh, his, uh, his, his fans. And, uh, and I didn't get to see him in the green room afterwards, but, uh, I was near, I was on, I was technically on set for Hocus Pocus even before I worked on it. Cause I was, when I was working on Boy Meets World, that was on the Disney lot and that was and right next door where they were shooting Hocus Pocus. So I would go over on the set because I knew Omri from when we did Erie, Indiana. I knew Vanessa Shaw um, from uh, we had a mutual friend and uh, and I just like sneaking onto sets. So I snuck onto the set and I was there um, during the scene where they're in the car being chased by Winifred. And it's just, you know, portion of a car in front of a uh, a, a film, a film screen with rear projection. And there's, Bette Midler on wires on a, on her uh, broomstick. So I was there for that. And then, uh, yeah, it was I, this before I even knew had an inkling, I would even be part of the movie. Bette Midler on wires is just like a great phrase. I love hearing that. Yes. <laughs> I never, I didn't think I was like, she's really doing this. I didn't think that she would really do that. Could be some, some actors probably wouldn't even bother. Not, not Bette Midler. <laughs> not Bette Midler doing her own stunts. She is hardcore. Yes, she uh, is. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, one of my favorite Disney movies of all time, uh, which is a goofy movie. That really is like one of my favorites. It was probably, I think, Thank one you. of the last Disney movies I saw as a, I want to say as a kid, but like, you know, when you get to that certain age where you kind of start, you know, going to see more adult films, you start watching the PG-13, the R-rated film. So it's kind of like one of those transitionary movies for me as a child. And uh, oh. it really stuck with me a lot. Uh, and I remember again watching the Goof Troop cartoon show and then seeing Goofy movie and hearing two different voices. And I didn't know until fairly recently what the story is behind that. It's kind of a, a bit of a sad story, but uh, how did you end up getting the role of Max for a Goofy movie? I just auditioned for it, man. It was just one of those calls that came through my desk. And, uh, you know, I knew Dana Hill was, uh, was the voice of Max and Goof Troop. I mean, Dana has been around longer than I have, um, even in on camera. And uh, um, I, because they were, because it was a feature film and Max was skewing a little bit older uh, the creatives were looking for, I think, a more of an authentic male, young male sound rather than a female actor doing a, a male, a male sound. I think a lot of people think it had to, had to do with Dana's health, but I, she passed away uh, years after that, I believe. Yeah, I think so, because I know the movie came out basically the same year that she did pass away, I believe. So that might be why there's some confusion around it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so I also know this is something that uh, has been talked about for a lot of Disney fans. I've seen videos about this. Uh, you are a very good singer, but you don't sing your own songs <laughs> in the film. So, uh, again, it's another one of those weird voiceover things. What happened there? Why weren't you doing your own songs? Where did you hear me sing, Matt? I heard that in, uh, it was one of the videos, I think it was from like the D20 or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, the D23. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, it's uh, whoever I was performing for just didn't think I could sing. That's just came came right down to that. And I... Uh, Aaron Lore, who is a friend of mine, uh, who, who does Max's singing voice, um, and he did a great job. Uh, but uh, it was after I'd booked the role, and they're like, "We want you to come in and audition to sing. You still have the role, no matter what. You're still being the voice of Max. But we want to see if you can sing." And I did my best, and uh, and my best was not good enough. So, well, I beg to differ. I think your best would have been fine. Uh, you know, people can actually hear you sing if they want to. So I'll, I'll link up that video. Make sure folks can hear it. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. Unless it's terribly embarrassing, in which case I won't. But either way, it'll possibly. No, I'm proud of it. I mean, it, it did. Get, it gave me a complex. It gave me like. I mean, look. I mean, I'm not going to win American Idol. I mean, I know where my limitations are, but uh, but I can do. I can do what Aaron did. I mean, I, I, maybe I just didn't understand. That's what they were asking of me. Um, uh, I mean, it could have been just that communication uh, issue, but uh, I was very hesitant to even like do karaoke, you know? Uh, and, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not perfect, but, uh, but uh, I love to sing. It's fun. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great outlet. And uh, I can at least do, you know, uh, you know, show tunes, Broadway kind of things. Now, normally with a lot of voiceover work, you're typically just in the box by yourself, but I think with Disney movies, they normally get like everybody in the room together, right? Was that the case for a goofy movie? Uh, with a goofy movie? Yeah. Fortunately it was, it was me and Bill mostly uh, together for, off and on for the course of a year or two. Wow. And then Jim Cummings would come in and uh, we'd work with Rob and uh, I worked with Polly Shore when he was in there. Uh, Bill got to work with, um, Oh, I'm spacing his name. He, he, he's got a, a, a signature voice like this. And he was the host of Lester's Possum Park. Oh gosh. I'm blanking on his name, but uh, B- Bill got to work with him. Uh, Kevin Lima. That's his name. Kevin Lima. Kevin Lima is the director of the movie. Um, but this guy, hold on. I got to look on it. Yeah, I'm trying to look it up too. <laughs> Pat Buttram. Pat Buttram is his name, uh, which was his last his last uh, bit of work. But Pat Buttram did like all these old uh, uh, ho- Hollywood cowboy movies. And I think he was in uh, like uh, Mayberry a, a little bit. But uh, yeah, Kevin Lima played the, the Lester's mascot. Who's your favorite possum? And Max is like, beat it, doofus. That's, that's, uh, that's Kevin Lima. All right. So that, we got that now sorted out. But uh, one guy <laughs> that I really want to ask about is another very, very well-known person in the Star Trek franchise, and that's Wallace Shawn, aside from, of course, everything else Wallace Shawn has done, because he's amazing. But he was, yes. as you may or may not know, uh, the Grand Nagus of the Frangies in Deep Space that's Nine. Right. That's right. Did you get to have any interactions with Wallace Shawn, or did you get to meet him while you were working on a Goofy movie? I did. I did get to meet him on a Goofy movie very briefly, and, you know, we all knew him from uh, Princess Bride. That's where, you know, got us all crazy about him. Of course, the um, most well-known Sicilian in all of the industry. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Uh, and he, he was very nice, uh, very accommodating. Uh, I ran into him again at a con, a convention in uh, Oregon, and uh, he remembered everything. He was, you know, very, very sweet guy. Trek fans out there who are listening today might be, again, they're going to start weeping maybe when they hear this as well, but Star Trek is not my number one love. It's actually Ghostbusters. And oh. uh, this is why I'm like so flipping out crazy right now, because uh, you were Garrett in Extreme Ghostbusters, 1997. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah and I, I think it's like, to, for, to be honest, it's like one of my favorite roles you've done. Uh, it just... 
there's a lot of drama in that voice character. There was just a lot. It was a very complex character, basically. And, and rewatching the show again now, uh, it still holds up. I, I feel like it holds up more today than it did when it first came out. I dig it, man. Did you enjoy working as Garrett? Because Garrett's kind of an interesting character uh, and had a lot of attention to the character as well, because this is like one of the first uh, lead roles, I guess, in an animated series where the character is disabled. Yeah, uh, I loved voicing Garrett. I loved working on the show because I was a real Ghostbusters nut when I was a kid. Uh, I watched that show all the time. Uh, and had the action figures and all that stuff. I was a big Ghostbusters fan, so get getting to really be part of this franchise was ridiculous to me. And uh, and uh, and of course, I knew how important it was uh, to be voicing a character who uh, who was disabled. You know, Garrett was in a wheelchair, but it did not stop him from busting ghosts. That's just that's that's what his calling was, and he wasn't going to let anything stop him. And his his personality exuded that. Uh, I was, uh, thank you. I'm very proud of working on that show. And I worked again, a lot of great, a lot of great, uh, character actors came through and, uh, really solidified, uh, a friendship with, uh, Maurice LaMarche and Billy West and Tara Strong, who was just, I think that was one of the first things she did when she moved to the U S. Um, and, uh, Alfonso Ribeiro, Reno Romano had a great time doing that show. Now, is that one of the shows where you guys were also all together filming it or were you separate doing your own things? No, we were all together recording it, and um, they they kind of were upset with me and Alfonso because both of us were doing sitcoms at the time. So our uh, our recording sessions were at seven thirty at night. Usually, recording sessions are anywhere from like nine nine to one or or like two to five, but ours was seven thirty, and sometimes to like ten thirty, eleven o'clock. So uh, you know, Mo would you know be falling asleep. <laughs> It'd be, there'd be late nights on Thursday nights. Now, another favorite of mine, which I think is also one of my favorite roles you've done, uh, one of the strongest roles, I think, as well. If I may be that critical jerk who's saying these things. Uh, but, you know, I think, I think just another great role you had was Richie in Static Shock. Uh, another just really great show and a very yeah. interesting character. Uh, and it's a pretty different show as well for that era of cartoon. So did you like working on that show? Yeah, very much loved working on Static Shock. It was the... My second time uh, working with Phil Lamar, and uh, we just did a panel this weekend. We got to reminisce about some static stuff. And again, I, I, I mean, I was fortunate to play a, a, a fantastic, uh, you know, role. You know, uh, in this, uh, you know, the the, the sidekick to this fantastic uh, superhero, first African American animated superhero in in uh, weekday uh, animated programming. Uh, uh, it was it was really well produced. It was. It looked great. Dennis Cowan created a great character. Uh, Dwayne McDuffie uh, and team wrote some great stories. We tackled the stuff from like school shootings, uh, bigotry. Uh, you know, you name it. Uh, they we, they they crossed those thresholds. So it it, it does not. Uh, I do not take for granted that, that how important that was. Important is a great word to use for that show because again, just looking at it in the lens of like today. You know, some of those topics you guys covered are still very topical, which, you know, for better or for worse, it's true. But so much of the topics that went on in Static Shock are just things that we still deal with today. So I think it's one of those shows that's definitely better with a modern viewing. Totally, totally. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog, whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film or a part of a cosplay 
or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Hi, I'm Armin Schimmelman. And I'm Kitty Swink. 17 years ago, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I didn't know it at the time, but I had a 4% chance of surviving five years. As her husband, I was very scared. But he never let me see that. You are a rock. Thank you. Thank you. Pancreatic cancer is the third leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States, with a five-year survival rate of just 10%. We want it to be much higher. Much higher. It's 6% better when I was diagnosed, but not high enough. More than 60,000 Americans are estimated to be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2021, and more than 48,000 will die from the disease. Because symptoms are often vague, it can be hard to detect. Like the rest of the world, the Star Trek universe has been struck repeatedly by pancreatic cancer. Not only those of us that work on the show, but our fans around the world as well. It is why we came together with so many others to work with the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, the leading patient advocates committed to fighting the world's toughest cancer. PanCan is working hard to create better outcomes for this devastating disease through its groundbreaking research and early detection and better treatment options. PanCan drives progress by funding life-saving research, providing personalized patient services, and creating a community of supporters and volunteers who will stop at nothing to create a world in which all pancreatic cancer patients will thrive. You can help support their important mission by donating at pancan.org today. We donated. Won't you do so too? Please, make it so. We now return to Trek Untold. All right, so Jason, let us jump into our Star Trek discussion here. And so we already mentioned, of course, Silicon Avatar from Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. One thing I didn't ask about was, uh, you know, you weren't actually credited on screen in that role. Do you know what's up with that? I was not? No, there's apparently, uh, there's, when the credits roll, apparently your name does not show up in that, I've heard. Say what? <laughs> that's according to Memory Alpha. That's, I, I haven't double-checked it, but that's according to Memory Alpha. You, you are uncredited in that appearance. Um, I, uh, I didn't know that. Uh, I... I don't know, it doesn't bother me. I mean, people know that it's me and, uh, and I don't know, there's also something kind of fun and in, in the mystery of it, if it's true. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. I've got to double check that after the show to make sure, but yeah, that's something I read, but, uh, you know, we're here to talk about deep space nine bar association, which is one of my favorite episodes of all time. Like I, I've just rewatched that one for a few other interviews and I love it. I love Rom. I love Max Grinchik. This is like an episode. that's all about him. Uh, so let's just start with how did you get cast in this episode? Because I imagine like doing a video for, TNG probably isn't necessarily your doorway into the role, but was that actually helpful to getting you with Deep Space Nine? No, I mean, I, I'd read for uh, for Star Trek and DS9 a, a few times, as in, uh, even on camera. So the casting directors, are, they know who you are. You know, they, they bring you in and you you, you read for producers and you, you hope you, you get it. And this is just one of those things I came in, I read, and uh, they hired me, you know. Uh, I read for, I remember LeVar Burton directed the show and he was in the room. So it was fun to get into, you know, just to even be in the same room as him, you know, reading Rainbow. I grew up with that. Uh, I remember at the audition, you know, Ferengis are short guys. I'm a short guy. I'm five feet tall. 
And, uh, and, uh, so, you know, I get to see all the other, you know, short guys in, in my category. And one of the guys, his name was named, uh, Michelin Sisti. And, and he, and I knew who he was cause I was a big Ninja Turtles fan and he was in the suit for the, one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the, in the movies. Um, so I'm reading with him da, 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 and I had a good time. I decided to put on this little voice. I was, you know, really obsessed with the, uh, Danny DeVito's penguin character in Batman. So I was doing something like that. And, uh, and they hired me. So that's where the voice came from. I, I never knew that. That's a pretty great connection. Yeah. So was this your first time doing really heavy prosthetics for a role? No. Um, um, well, you know, I guess, was that the heaviest, I guess? No, because I had, I had like ears for like the Munsters and I had hair for Ear Indiana. I guess it was the first heavy prosthetics. I had always been fascinated with prosthetics um, and dabbled in them. I even took a class. So I've always, I was liked having prosthetics put on, but I, yeah, I guess it was the first time I had like the full, the full thing on. Yeah. I still have my, my nose and my cheeks from my experience during the, during the whole thing. And look, someone even had a, made a, there's a, baseball card of the, of the guy so that's really cool they actually have that makeup there because i've been told by a lot of other actors like even the leads they don't usually get to take that stuff home so uh how did you even manage to get that out of the office that's what i want to know i just put in my pocket and left i just walked out with it i uh because i knew that too uh the i even had the teeth the teeth I, I i took home with me but they found out and they made me bring it back for the looping session and i had to i had to give them over then and that was the most frustrating because the teeth won't fit anybody else. They were only made for, they're literally molded to my, to my teeth. All the other pieces, the head, even the nose and the cheeks were all recycled from other Ferengis. And uh, it, it wasn't specifically sculpted for me, uh, which I thought was fascinating. I didn't think you could do that. You could reuse pieces, but I guess uh, they figured out that they could and it still looks good. So this is an episode that is very heavy with Frangies all over the place. So I imagine there's a lot of orange paint going on all across that makeup yes. room. So uh, talk to me about sitting in that makeup chair. What was that like for you? I expected it to be like two hours. They they had it down. They had me in and out in like 30 minutes, wow. maybe even less. I mean, it was just, they had it such, such down to a science. I mean, like you get there at six in the morning, some other people, some like extras um, who are even in more makeup. This one woman who was in like full body makeup and, and prosthetics all over the place. I mean, they're there. They start at 4 a.m. And then, then we get in there. Um, but, you know, it was, it was just really e almost a disappointingly easy process. Because <laughs> I love I love it. I'm so fascinated with it. I really wanted to be uh, I really wanted to be in there. Are you one of those guys that's just like falling asleep in the chair while it's happening? Or are you chatting with the makeup artist to learn what they're doing? Oh, I'm chatting. I'm chatting. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so this episode is all about Max Grenchik as Rom. So you've got Max, you've got Armin Shimmerman yeah. as Quark. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of Chase Masterson stuff as well. Cause you're actually next to Chase in a lot of scenes. Uh, we yes. also got tons of Jeffrey Combs moments, who's like the most yes. amazing guy ever in Star Trek. Uh, so many folks. So let's just start with, you know, of the main cast, uh, who did you get to hang out with? Did you get to chat with anybody on the show, you know, off camera? Yeah, I chat with everybody. Max and Armin. Armin, like, was the first person that that I saw on set. And he's in, like, when you're on set, you see everyone's in their full makeup. And he kind of, like, brings you over and gives you, like, you know, the Star Trek Ferengi, you know, tutorial He's like, all right, so you're going to, you want to take the teeth out when you're not, we're not in the scene. You don't have to keep them on all the time. You will bite the inside of your mouth. Just be careful of that. And, you know, rest when you can. Everyone's really nice. And, uh, he, I have a autographed picture from him, which I think I still have. Um, Max, Max is very, he seemed very neurotic to me, kind of like his character. So he was always kind of like in it. Um, but I, uh, uh my buddy, uh, Emilio Borelli who played Fruel, 
uh, he and I just connected and hit it off. And, uh, and we are still friends to this day. We didn't even know what each other looked like until, until after, after the fact. And he's like, I think he's like 30 years older than me, but we have, we've sustained a long lasting friendship, um, from that experience. And this episode too is just such a fun premise as well. I mean, this is basically Rom unionizing Quark's bar. Yeah. Uh, did, did you like the script? Was it, was it a fun script to you? Yes, I did. I, I, it was a departure from what I was used to. This seemed, it was very heavy in comedy. You know, I, I hadn't watched a lot of Deep Space Nine. I did like it. Um, but I, I, there was more heavy drama and more science fiction-y stuff with, uh, with, uh, Next Generation. This, this episode was just bred in just this, uh, in more character and comedy, which was fine. I still, I still had a blast. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow within both these roles, you managed to dodge techno babble twice. So that's pretty amazing too. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, that's normally the thing a lot of actors have to do on Star Trek is they'll have to rattle off all this like technical information, like, oh, reverse the polarity and oh, no. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And, and you managed to avoid that basically both times around. Right. But I did get to say one of the, the rules of acquisition, which was, uh, which, uh, which, is, which is a treat. Do you remember that rule of acquisition? I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you remember Absolutely. that rule? Rule of acquisition number 211. Employees are the rungs on the ladder of success. Don't hesitate to step on them. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I feel bad ever asking people to like do that kind of thing. I love it when, I, because when I go to cons, I, I bring like a handful of, of uh grimp uh, DS9 photos with me. Cause every so often, even if they bring me there for like a goofy movie or boy meets world, there's always someone who's like, like hardcore Star Trek fan. So I have those for them and I will always write the, uh, the rule of acquisition for them. Cause I know that it would mean a lot. So as you mentioned, this episode was directed by LeVar Burton, who is amazing, great director of, of Star Trek. Uh, what do you recall about working with him, and what do you recall about him as a director? What kind of a director was he? He was just loose, man. He was he knew exactly what he wanted. He was very confident. He was very accessible. He knew about comedy, um, and he was also just excited to be there. You know, I remember him telling me, and I I, I keep meaning to follow up like how this happened, but he I was like how like because I was interested in directing and uh, asked him if he had done any uh, next generation and, and and how many more of these is he going to do? And he's like, you know, if I do a couple more of these, they might, they might, you know, give me the next movie. Like, Oh my God, it'd be amazing. Uh, but he was, uh, he was fantastic. We've worked together on a cartoon since and, uh, and, uh, and he's, he's still an amazing, amazing human being. Love that I got to work with him. And I'm also jealous that you got to stand next to Chase Masterson for so long. How, how did you not get distracted being next to her? <laughs> You know, Chase is, is a lovely person. Uh, she's one of those actors who, uh, I probably shouldn't say this. I don't know. She's one of those actors. It's all about her, you know, um, and, uh, and it's always, always, always business. So it, it, it kind of turned off any other sort of distract distraction for me. She's a very lovely human being. She's very good to look at, very fun to look at, but, uh, but that's, that's, that's kind of where it ended for me. And we couldn't go this far without also talking a little more about Jeffrey Combs. I mean, cause he's been in so many great things. Everybody loves to talk about him in Star Trek stuff. I have yet to interview him. That's the dream is getting Jeffrey on this show yes. too. One day. Uh, did you have a chance to chat with Jeffrey at all? No, the ah. first time we saw him was when the, the door opened and his character was there. I didn't know who it was. And also like, if you remember that episode, like he has this relentless monologue towards everyone that he may, I think we, I don't think we even rehearsed it. I think we just shot it. So like he, he arrives and we're all supposed to be like, Oh shit, it's him. And we're very reverent around the ground. And, but he's talking, I couldn't, even though I was supposed to like be looking down, I had, I couldn't not look at him because he was 
so in it. And I, I'm like, who is this guy? I recognize this guy. And then I, then it hit me, you know, reanimator, this, this guy, this character actor that I love so much. Um, he, he knocked it out. I think he did two takes and that was it. It was so, I was so fucking impressed uh, and floored by that performance. I didn't get to talk with him afterwards. I talked with him years later. We did a cartoon together and, and uh, he's very nice, very accessible, very, very right there. We, we, I, I think he's, he said he remembered me, but I don't, I don't think he did. You know, he's just very, he was a very sweet guy. Now, did you watch that episode when it first aired on TV? Absolutely. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to watch it. See myself as this in this character and all the makeup and stuff. I, I, I celebrated uh, d- being on it and, and, and watching it. Absolutely. So what do you think of your performance? How would you have rated yourself? I, I gave myself uh, like a nine out of 10, you know, I could always, I could always improve a little bit, but, but I, I, I knew what I was, what I was doing. Uh, I was having so much fun. I was like a kid in the candy store and, uh, uh, they, they made me feel confident with what I was doing. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a great experience overall. So I'm so happy for you that it was such an excellent time yeah. being on the show. Uh, now, did you ever audition for any other roles in Star Trek that you remember? I can't, I'm sure I did, but I can't remember. And of course, you are still working these days. Uh, you're doing plenty of VO stuff and other things in live action, too. Uh, any chance we could ever see you on Star Trek Lower Decks? I mean, would you want to be in a Star Trek show again? Absolutely, man. I'm an actor. I mean, I'll, I'll work on anything fun. And I would uh, uh, actually I haven't seen Star Trek Lower Decks uh, or Picard or any of these these, these others. Uh, but I, I would absolutely be down. Now, of course, as I mentioned at the start of the show, we could spend all day talking about your VO work because you've done so many. You've been in Skyrim. I've heard your voice. I've heard you in Legend of Korra, G.I. Joe Renegades, Fairly Odd Parents, Scooby-Doo Mystery Inc. We mentioned Gummy Bears, uh, The Weekenders as well, a ton of DC stuff as well. And on that subject, actually, uh, I want to talk to you about Young Justice. And Dig that's it, like yeah. one of my favorite shows as well. And it uh, just came back to air on the HBO Max app, I believe, is where it first showed up, or maybe in the DC app, wherever it was. Quite many years in between that show, basically finishing up and getting brought back to life. Uh, so what was it like for you to come back to it so many years later? Were you able to kind of jump back into the role as Kid Flash, or did it kind of take some work to to find that character again? No, I mean, uh, it, it was it was you know no big deal. Uh, they they had they played a reference for me. I mean, Kid Flash, Impulse, Bart, Bart Allen, Bart Impulse Allen. It's all Crash. You know, he's all. It, he's pretty much my placement, just a little bit younger. I think when he started, when he first appeared, he was supposed to be like 14. And later on, you know, he gets to be kind of like in this range. But he's always a little bit fast talking. Pew, you know, crap, you know, everything's crashed, man. Uh, yeah, it was, no, it was no big deal. I know you just showed us a little bit of your wall of merch on the uh, few moments ago. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think Kid Flash does have a Young Justice action figure. Uh, I don't know how many other characters you have that have action figures. But, like, do you collect your own merch of characters that you voiced? Uh, oh, yeah, totally. Uh, and, um... The, the the Kid Flash action figure from Young Justice is the Jason Spizak Kid Flash, because um, they uh, that was one of the reasons that they canceled the show on Cartoon Network is because the toys didn't sell, uh, so uh, they they did not realize uh, not that that I'm aware of there is not an Impulse or a Bart Allen Kid Flash action figure, but as far as other things, yeah, uh, being an action figure collector as a kid. It was a dream to, I mean, I, w- I would collect Transformers and I'd watch the Transformers cartoon and I'd always, you know, Optimus Prime would be fighting Megatron and I'd do the voices. It was always a dream to to have a character that I voiced. So when I played with the characters, it would be, it would be like even more authentic, you know? <laughs> That's very cool. Now, uh, yeah. Jason, I just sent you something in chat. In fact, I'm going to cut this onto the video version. So anybody who's listening to the show, uh, they're not going to know about this, but I don't know if you ever saw 
there was supposed to be an extreme Ghostbusters figure of Garrett. Did you know that? I did in his, uh, in his, in like leg braces or something like that. He's actually in the wheelchair. Uh, so these are photos oh, that were sent to me by a collector named Jonathan Tchaikovsky. He uh, actually owns these prototypes. I wanted to show them to you and, uh, yeah, get your reaction to them in case you had never actually really taken a good look at them before. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think I've seen these. There was one because everyone was up in arms. First, how sad was this? Like they did not want to even like try to release a, a character in a wheelchair for fear of offending kids in wheelchairs who probably would dream of, 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 of that, that want to be heroes, you know, to, to show them like, look, you're in a wheelchair, but you can do this. Um, so that I know that they had a prototype of, of, of Garrett. And I saw that he was even in the packaging with bionic legs. I'm like, that's more offensive than anything. Come on, man. So, uh, uh, I, I don't remember seeing that big, big souped up wheelchair device. It was crazy. I'd love, I wish they would do it again and, 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 and get it right. You know? And shout out again to Jonathan from the Trendmasters prototype toys group on Facebook for letting us take a look at those and show them on screen. So check out that group. If you're being into prototypes of toys. Thanks, Jonathan. So Jason, uh, you know, I got an important question too, for you having done so much VO work, what are your pro tips for protecting your voice for longevity? Well, you know, don't smoke. Uh, <laughs> that's the opposite of what Cree Summer told us. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I did an interview with Cree, and her her response was, "You want to have a good career? Smoke a lot of weed and drink a lot of booze." Well, smoke uh, don't smoke cigarettes uh, for sure. Although it didn't didn't I guess it, I don't know. Kind of hurt Mel Blank. Mel Blank was a chain smoker till the very end. I think he was actually doing recessions with oxygen uh, when it came down. But you can you can hear the texture of, of him change from like early Mel Blanc to like later Mel Blanc. Um, but yeah, you know, smoke a lot of weed, uh, <laughs> smoke a little weed. Uh, don't drink a whole bunch. Uh, they say caffeine and dairy products you want to stay away from when you're, before you're doing a session kind of like uh, affects you uh, uh, vocally a little bit. Nothing, nothing too vocally strenuous, you know, video game gigs can be uh, can be hazardous if you don't know how to, emote from the diaphragm or yell from the diaphragm as opposed to, you know, you know, killing your throat. Thanks, man. I have to say your voice has always been a constant and I feel like, you know, it's always been that voice. I always know when it's Jason Marsden's voice, uh, even when he's in Skyrim doing a Nordic accent. So, uh, uh, you know, whatever you're doing right, it's yeah. amazing. Hey, thanks, man. Me and Michael G. Fox will never, will never grow old in the voice. So these days, what else is Jason Marsden working on? I know right now we're still in the midst of the pandemic and that's kind of changed things, but has it really changed a ton for you because you are doing VO work? You can do that already from home, basically. Yeah, I am. Well, I am uh, doing more VO from home. Uh, I had moved to Nashville, Tennessee uh, uh, about five years ago. And uh, and I, I knew I was going to take a hit work-wise, even though you know it's voiceover. You can be recorded anywhere. There was still like... Hollywood, they want you to be in Hollywood, which is frustrating because I would have to commute to Los Angeles for sometimes 15 minutes of work. And uh, I just got to a point I just couldn't do it. So I, I did, I had stopped working voiceover for a bunch unless things came up that were happy to have, that were, you know, were willing to record me in Nashville. And then the pandemic hit and then everything went into my favor. Now they're only looking for actors with home studios. So I, uh, I had just moved into a new place. I scrambled my closet, got that together. And, uh, and I, you know, booked a, a few more things than I had in, in a long time. So that's, that was, uh, the, uh, the upside to that. And, uh, like I said, living in Nashville, I'm surrounded by amazing musicians and there's even like a, a big stand-up comedy scene here. 
So I started a show on YouTube called The Mars Variety Show. I'd love for everyone to look at it. Please subscribe to Mars Presents. And uh, it's like a celebration of, uh, of the independent musician, the independent comedian and, and uh, alternate, alternative artist, like circus performer, artist, poet. And, uh, and I presented in like a, like a, a hee-haw, laughing kind of, kind of like a classic uh, a variety show kind of way. And, uh, and I'd love for everyone to, to take a look at it. Yeah, Mars Presents is a lot of fun. I'm going to have links in the show notes so you guys can check it out at your own leisure. Yes, yes. Thank you, Matt. So I think the last episode you guys did was around Christmas time, right? Yeah, I did a Christmas special. A very Christmas, Christmas, Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> so are there plans to keep doing some more of these or more regular editions of them? Because I know like right now it's been kind of, you know, here and there. Do you have like plans to make it a regularly scheduled kind of event? Yes, absolutely. The, the problem is it's like it's it's it's. It's mostly me. I'm getting a lot of help from people. I'm getting more help as it as it as it goes because people who who watch it and they seem to love it. They seem to get it. Um, it's something I'd really like to do indefinitely. I mean, like I, I, it's there's so much great talent, not just in Nashville but all over the place. I always am looking for the buskers. I'm always looking for the local music scene because that's the talent who really needs to be showcased, and I have a means to do that. Um, and I feel like I know talent. I feel I know people who perform out of the box who need to be seen. Uh, so I, there is going to be a third season. I'm just really taking my time doing it this time because now I figured because over COVID people will be more forgiving if it's all done on cell phones and selfies and that sort of thing. But, you know, it wasn't, didn't sound great and, and didn't look great here and there. So I'm concentrating more on Again, especially in COVID, things are, are easing up a little bit, but finding a space where I could invite the performers to be photographed correctly, recorded correctly, um, really get people together, maybe get a small audience like they do on uh, SNL and, uh, and, uh, and level it up that way. So can people around the world contribute to the show as well still? Yes, this time it'll be, you know, if you have to come to Nashville, but, uh, but I did have the, the second season, uh, especially the first episode of the second season, Neighbors, I had uh, a pal from Australia, I had uh, some guys in Los Angeles, you know, it, like I said, there's talent all over the place and, uh, and uh, I, I will still definitely do that, um, but I'm going to concentrate more on, on making it look good, maybe make it more attractive for a network or someone to, to pick it up. And, uh, and provide more resources where we can where we can really include out of town performers, but make them look, you know, present them like they deserve it. You know, all right, it's very cool. So everybody, go check out Mars Presents. It's a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Please, please, please do. So, Jason, you having spent a lot of your time doing VO work. I'm curious, you know, what you're known best for when you get stopped in the street. Is it because somebody recognizes your voice, or it's because they recognize your face? You know, I, I am. I guess it's a fortunate thing, but I can't zero in on just one thing. It, it's, it's all across the gambit. It's, it, it's either Boy Meets World or a goofy movie or Hocus Pocus or Step by Step. It's always, or something obscure. Um, even when I do cons, if a con brings me in for like, you know, uh, you know, a goofy movie, people come by and then they'll, they'll see my banner and they'll be like, Oh wait, you were in Boy Meets World. Oh, wait, you did this. Oh, wait, you did that. I mean, it's all one thing always leads to to another. It's fascinating. So, yeah, it's never just one one thing for me. And I love that you are so super duper fan friendly. You know, I've never actually had a chance to meet you at any conventions. because I don't know if you ever come to like my area, but uh, I know you do great? a lot of cons and that kind of thing, uh, which kind of leads into my next question here. And our last question for this interview, 
And that's what is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? The, about, I mean, just that's it. Just being part of the Star Trek universe. It's so important. It's been around forever. Uh, Gene Roddenberry was ahead of his time and, and it's got such a huge fan base and, you know, to be part of a club like that is, uh, it means so much, uh, not just as a performer, but as a fan myself. And, you know, like I said, like, I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself a Trekkie. Um, I, I certainly haven't seen all the episodes of everything, but, uh, but I watched almost all the feature films of the, uh, of the next generation Star Treks. Uh, I like the, the reboot. I mean, I love the whole, I love the characters, the, the, the storylines and the action, uh, to be part of it is, is tremendous. It's like, I will, you, I'm in it now. You can't get rid of me. You know, you, you look, you look back in history, Mars didn't will always be, be there part of that. And yeah, I've never heard anything bad about you from any fans who have met you as well. So that, that's a testament to you too. Not yet. Not yet. There'll be that one time. <laughs> well, pandemic's almost over. So just saying. Right. Right. Back to in-person cons any day now. Yes. 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 Where is your, what's your, where's your area? So I'm in New York. New York. No, like my turf would be like New York Comic Con, that kind of thing. Haven't done New York Comic Con. They're all, the guys who run New York Comic Con are snobby. I tried. I tried. <laughs> but they're like, nah, not yet. I don't know. I don't know. They, I, I've, I've tried, but uh, I'm not, I'm not that big. I'm not that big of a celebrity yet. Well, that's right. That's fine. I'll have to find a way to get you to like uh, Star Trek mission. Do you, ever, do you ever do the Star Trek conventions? I did. The, I did one on, uh, uh, and again, I invited myself. Uh, <laughs> it was in Vegas. I just, I cold called the, the people. I think it was creation entertainment that did. It. I don't know if they still do it. Um, but I cold called this guy. He was really nice. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I did a, an episode of this. I heard that if you, you, if you work on a show that you can be part of these, uh, events and like, yeah, but you have to, uh, pay for your pictures. You have to pay for your hotel. You have to get yourself to Vegas, but we'll give you a, a thing. And we take a cut of your, of your sales. I'm like, all right. Uh, and of course I had to do it. Uh, and, uh, it was a, it was a blast. <laughs> I saw, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? He played uh, Cameron in uh Ferris Bueller's day off. Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck. I saw Alan Ruck and he recognized me from something. I don't know what, but he was like really nice to me. And I was surprised to see him there. And, um, you know, got to go to Vegas for a couple of days and, uh, they, they didn't have, I mean, I know that they took stills on set. I remember there, there's always a still photographer there, but they could not find pictures of me, of my character. So they had to lift an image of Grimp off of a, uh, a VHS and, and I had to, I had to pay for that. I had to re have them reprinted and uh, through them, through Paramount. And they put like a, like I think a Paramount Star Trek hologramic holographic sticker on the back to like, let them know, like, this is like the legit deal. Um, not so much anymore. The pictures I have now are, you know, someone made for me to <laughs> to reprint and they're actually, they're really good. It's me and Emilio as, as, uh, as a uh, Grimp and Fruel. I'll send you one. I'll send you one, man. Give me your address after this. I'll send you one with the rule of acquisition. I'll put, I'll write it on there for you. Oh, thank you so much. That's super kind of you. And yeah, again, I look forward to hopefully meeting you one day at a convention. So whether it's going to be somewhere in California or somewhere in a mission event or whatever, one day it's got to happen. I need to actually face-to-face meet Jason Marsden. And, you know, just again, I want to tell you, you know, your your face and your voice have just been absolutely integral to me growing up. I mean, basically, you've been in my life since I was a little kid. I can remember you in Gummy Bears. I can remember your voice. I can remember you in Extreme Ghostbusters. I can remember you in all these different things. Even through today, I'm still hearing your voice. So, you know, Jason Marsden has been a constant for my development as a kid to where I am as an adult. Uh, so, you know, thank you for all of your great work in voiceover, on screen, everything you've done. 
Uh, it's just a real pleasure to be able to chat with you today. Thank you so much. That was very, very kind of you. I love all those where you made me smile so big. Thank you. Well, Jason, thank you so much. And just last thing too, before I sign off, how do our listeners follow you on social media? Are you on social media? I am. I do the things. You can follow me on Twitter uh, and, uh, and Instagram, both at Jason Marsden. On, I'm on TikTok. I do the TikTok, Jason Marsden official on TikTok. And, um, and, uh, and uh, like I said, I would love to remind you to please follow me on YouTube, uh, Mars Presents and uh, Jason Marsden. Please subscribe to both. I have uh, fun things planned for both, both channels. All right. So everybody will have links for all that in the show notes. So make sure you're following Jason. Jason, again, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you today. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Trek Untold. And that was our discussion with Jason Marsden. And I have to tell you guys, I've done a lot of episodes on this show now, and I've had some absolutely amazing guests. I was transported back to little eight-year-old me watching Saturday morning cartoons and hearing his voice again. It was a little difficult to pull myself together for this interview, as I'm sure Jason can attest to, but he is an absolute pro, and I legit can't wait to meet him in person one day to get something autographed. And if you're a fan of his work too, I definitely suggest that. So do make sure you're following his Instagram account so you can stay up to date on all of his upcoming appearances. And of course, don't forget to check out Mars Presents on YouTube. We're going to have links to that and more in this week's show notes. The episode Bar Association on Deep Space Nine has become a personal favorite of mine, and it has a pretty interesting backstory. The episode was originally pitched by Barbara J. and Jennifer A. Lee, and was originally intended to be a backup story to another episode. But as time went on, the producers decided it was worthy of its own standalone episode, and thus was born Bar Association. We spoke with both Chase Masterson and Max Gredenchik about this episode in a few episodes back of Trek Untold, and Max was originally actually against the idea of Rom leaving his brother's bar to become an engineer. Max was worried that this episode would have ruined his character, but instead it turned out to be quite the opposite and was a huge improvement to his growth. And more importantly, that episode also kickstarted the romance between Rom and Lita, which of course would become a major part of the series. Normally, I'd say that's a story for another day, but as I mentioned, we spoke with Chase Masterson as well about this. So go ahead and dig back into the archives and get the full story from Max and Chase. So that wraps up this week's episode of Trek Untold. Thank you so much for checking it out this week. Please make sure that you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Trek Untold. That's one word, no spaces, at Trek Untold. It's the best way to get updates on guests, check out all the memes and other things that we're posting, and interact with myself and other Star Trek fans. If you'd like to support this podcast, go ahead and check out patreon.com slash trekuntold and become a subscriber to the show. Or check out teespring.com slash stores slash trekuntold to check out some of our merchandise. If you've been enjoying Trek Untold, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And if you're on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel, youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday. Leaving ratings, reviews, and comments are things that all help this podcast grow, and they'll cost you nothing but a few seconds of your time. Doing things like that, or even telling your friends or other Star Trek fans about the stuff you've heard on the show and making sure they know about us are huge helps to keeping Trek Untold growing. Thank you once again to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions. Go ahead and check them out at triple-fictionproductions.net. If you'd like to send us some feedback about this episode, suggest a guest, or ask to be booked on the show, go ahead and send me an email at trekuntold at gmail.com. And of course, thanks to listeners like you for choosing Trek Untold and making it your weekly Star Trek podcast. This has been Trek Untold. I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and until next time, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the RageWorks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today. 